Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. For a while he was hanging his head and he didn't say, my name's not in the Bible, my name's not in the Bible. I said, yes it is. And he said, where is it in the Bible? I said, let me show it to you. So I said, bring me your Bible. So Greg brought us his Bible and I said, okay, I want you to go over here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 3, John verse 16. I said, before I show you the verse though, you need to know it's spelled differently than G-R-E-G. Really? How's it spelled? W-O-R-L-D. For God so loved you, Greg. So it doesn't matter what your name is, your ethnic background is. Here's the important thing is. That God is, is, is infinite, his love is infinite, and his, his, his love object, the world, transcends all of time from the very beginning of Adam all the way through. So every one of you can be bathed under the shower of the love of God right now because it's for the entire world. When I think about that, that is humongous. But for a moment, let's set aside the word world and change that right now. For God so loved, would you put your name right there in your Bible? Or maybe you could say, for God so loved me, right there. Because God does love you. Regardless of what others have said or how they model their love, God loves you as part of the world. Then it says, and he gave his only son. Now when I think about a gift, I think of that's what the word gave me. Now what's important is this. We know that God sent His Son. That's found in other parts of Scripture. But He also gave His Son. There's a big difference between God sending His Son and God giving Him His Son. When God sent His Son, it sounds like He kind of visited us. Basically, He sent His Son. Jesus came. By the way, He couldn't give His Son unless He sent His Son. So they're not in contradiction to one another. The Father sent me into the world, so say I know you. So He says, God sent me into the world. So He was sent. But even being sent is not enough for the payment of sin. It wasn't until he actually gave himself up for us on the cross. He gave himself for us. Now when I think about that, I think about the fact that yes, at that very moment when he's on the cross and when he wills himself to die after all that bloodshed that he went through, all that, he wills himself to die. I want you to know that it wasn't just just only just... The death, boom, that one split second when he died. I believe that giving was already, again, in the mind of God as he went down through history, preparing us to know that this whole thing was a gift that we can receive. Now, when I think about what he gave us on the cross, yes, he gave us his son, but he gave us his death and his resurrection and everything else about it. He gave his son. Now, think about a gift for a moment. When I give a gift to somebody, if it's an authentic gift, that means, number one, they generally don't deserve it. Nobody does. Nobody deserves it. I mean, we've all missed the mark with even one another. It's not a gift if we have to pay them back for something they've done for us. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. That's not a gift. That's an obligation. A gift isn't something, well, they gave me something this year, so I've got to give them something. You know, it's, it's not, it's not if we give them something and they have to pay us back for it. A gift is saying... I love you, I want you to have this, and yes, you have a need, maybe in our mind, it is something you would enjoy, something you would appreciate, hopefully, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to you. Now, when I give Carol a gift, I don't go to garage sales and just throw a gift at her, 
all the time. All right. Once in a while, there's something really cute out there I'd like her to have. But for those special anniversary gifts, those special birthday gifts, those special that we open up a couple of the gifts we have each other, but we save kind of like the best for last, you know. That's a gift that I put a lot of time in. I think about what would Carol like, what would she need. And often it would cost me time, money, and I get so excited. Now catch, if I took that beautiful gift that I got so excited about that cost me something, and by the way, nothing compared to what my salvation cost my Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, but nonetheless, it's a very special gift and I gave it to Carol. How do you think I would feel if when I gave her that gift, she says, no, that's not for me, that's for somebody else? That'd break my heart. What happens if she said, oh, this is really, really great. I'll open it later. Would that hurt me? What would it be if I gave her that gift, though? She took the gift, but she left it wrapped and said, you know what? I'm going to put it on the shelf. Maybe I can re-gift it to somebody else. Or how about if I gave her the gift and she says, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. She opens it up and she sees what it is. And then she goes up to the room and she opens up her purse and she brings down some money. And she says, here, let me give you some money for that. I appreciate that, but let me pay you for that. That's not a gift. But if you really look at it, God gave this gift that in his mind, he designed it with us in mind. He went to the cross to pay for that gift. It cost him absolutely everything, the death of his only son. He then gives it to us, and now we have the choice to say, no, that's not for me. It's for someone else. I'm not good enough to get this gift, or is that all there is, or I'll open it later, or how much do I pay you? Do I have to give money at church to get this gift? And I try to put all around it a reception of it through me giving God something back, feeling like there's an obligation. Now, I know normally that's pretty much how society operates. But with God, he says, no, no, no. Just to be saved is that you have to receive it by faith alone. And so he says it's just for that. For God so loved the world that he gave. And you see that phrase, his only, one and only son. Now, we know that as a child of God, we become a son of God. This is talking about there's only one son, there's only one Jesus Christ. There's only one person that can save. We can all be sons of God because we're born again into God's family and he becomes our father. But there's one and only unique son of God, and that's Jesus Christ. So in other words, watch this. God could not have given anything else to pay our sin debt. He had to give his one and only unique son to die on the cross. And that's who he gave. And I, I'm reminded of Hallmark sometimes when Carol and I are watch a little TV, we'll record some of the, the movies on the Hallmark Channel. They seem to be a little bit more benign than some of the other stuff that's out there, and yet they still have some of the secular worldview. But sometimes they'll advertise their cards. How many remember this? You give, you know, when Hallmark gives because you want to give the very best. Well, when God gave, he looked at everything he had. It wasn't the earth. It wasn't going to be the stars and the moon and all that stuff you see in greeting cards. He says, I care enough to give the very best. I'm giving you my son. Now, catch that. Catch that. The very best. It wasn't that he was, Jesus was better than everybody else. He was the best. There was nobody like Christ. He was perfect, the Bible says. That's what he gave to you and me. Now, go on with the verse. It says that whoever, that means anybody can really receive this. The first part of the verse is God's part. He does all the giving and who it is. And then our part is the rest of the verse, what we do. Now, true, God's part is larger than our part because he does all the giving. It costs him everything to, for us to be in his family. And all we need to do is to receive it. So there's two parts of this, but now we're in our part. It says that whoever. So God gives it to us for the purpose of receiving it. Now, I love that word whoever there. Those of you that are in the, what they call the King James Version of the Bible, it says it a little bit differently, but means exactly the same thing. It says whosoever believes in him. 
Well, many years ago, as I was reading the biography of the founder of a ministry called The Navigators, The Navigators started just a little bit before World War II to help reach mostly seamen in Long Beach in that area, but it branched out from there to other military branches, etc. And so Dawson Trotman, he really wanted to reach souls for Christ. Soon after that, he realized that after they've come to know Christ as Savior, they need to learn about the Lord. And one of the ways you do that is to memorize verses. So he was committed as a family man to make sure he memorized verses, his wife memorized verses, and his kids would memorize verses. And so they would be memorizing verses. The other thing that Dawson would do would be to invite seamen into their, his home, their home, to have a meal with them so that they would have more of a family dynamic while these servicemen were out doing their things to bring them in. But as he would work with them, one of the little policies he had was that after dinner, while we're having our dessert, you would go around the table and everybody was to quote a Bible verse. Well, one of the seamen didn't show up that night. That's okay. They left an empty plate there and figured out what they're going to do next. So now Dawson says, okay, it's time to quote out loud our Bible verses. So they started around the table and they got to the place where this man was not. And so they skipped it over and they went to someone else. And he has a daughter, Dawson. His daughter's name was Ruth. And they would call her Ruthie, Ruthie. And so Ruthie is about four years old, like some of our keiki that are in our Sunday school class or our adventure time right now. And as he skipped over, Ruthie then spoke up like many of our kids will do. Wait, what about me, Dad? I want to see a verse. I want to see a verse. And Dawson said, no, no, you're, you're a little young right now. This is more kind of an adult time. I don't want to put you on the spot, embarrass you. And she said, no, 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 let me, let me, let me do the verse. And so he said, okay, all right, guys, okay, let her speak. So Ruthie, she quotes the verse this way. For God so loved the world. And by the way, I heard this on tape, so I'm not exaggerating. This is exactly how it happened. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, Dawson tells it this way. He said the reason she emphasized whosoever is that when we were teaching the verse, she had a speech impediment, a slight one, and she had a difficult time saying whosoever. So when we got to that point, we kept emphasizing whosoever, whosoever. And you know how kids are. That's how they pick it up. So now she thinks in order to quote this verse, you have to emphasize whosoever. Well, they went around the room, and that was kind of a nice evening. Well, less than a week later, Dawson gets a knock on the door, and there was this seaman that came to the house. And he said, I'd like to talk to you, Dawson. Um... Do you know that when your daughter Ruthie quoted John 3.16, whosoever, I realized that I was one of those whosoever that had not trusted Christ. I could quote verses, but I didn't trust Christ. And I would like to be one of those whosoever's right now to trust Christ as Savior. And so again, I, I believe that's why it's in there. That whoever you are, we could say it another way. Whatever kind of person you are, I don't know what your background is. I don't care how low you are, but you have to understand. God's grace, God's mercy can also plummet the depths of the depravity of man. No one is beyond his salvation arm. Whosoever. If that was the case, he couldn't have used whosoever believes. Well, let's go a little bit further, that whoever believes in him. I like that. Whoever believes in him. Can you see it there in your notes? Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say whoever behaves in him. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says whoever believes in him. Notice what else it doesn't say. It doesn't say whoever believes and behaves 
in him. It just stops at whoever believes in him. Let me just talk for a moment about that idea of belief. In the concept of what we'll call salvation faith, there's all kinds of faith. Granted, mustard seed, childlike faith, general faith. But salvation faith really requires three ingredients. They all have to be there. If you want to take notes, it might help you to spell the word cat. But use the letter K instead of C. K would be, in order for you to believe in Christ, you have to know the message of salvation. So you have to know that you're a sinner, that you're separated from God, that you'll spend eternity separated from Him, that to go to heaven you've got to be perfect, but you'll never be, that your good works won't get you there. You have to know that Jesus is the Lord who died and rose again. You have to know that to go to heaven is by faith alone in Him. You have to know that truth. And that's why there are Christians all over the globe for millenniums telling as many people as they can and, yea, giving their lives so everybody would know the way of salvation, at least intellectually know it, that Jesus is the Savior, He's the only way. But that's only one-third of saving faith. K, no. The next is A. Now you have to accept it as truth. You could know facts but not believe it as truth. You can't accept something, something as truth if you've never heard it. So you have to know it, but knowing it is not enough. Now you have to say, that is right. Jesus is the Lord. I really am a sinner. Going to heaven is by faith. I must trust Christ so I won't perish but have everlasting life. You have to believe all of that is truth. But that's not enough. That's only two-thirds. The third one is the letter T. And we're going to put the word trust there. You have to know it. Then you have to accept it as truth. And now you have to depend upon that as your only way to get you to heaven. Now that last part is not difficult at all. Usually when you get the accepting it as truth, it's obvious that the byproduct would be, therefore, I'm going to trust it as truth. It's logical. It makes sense. But it's still something where you have to engage God. And so you have know, accept, and trust. Now go back to the verse here it says, whoever believes in him. Notice what it doesn't do. It doesn't end with the word believe. There's no period there. Because again, faith is not enough to save you. Circle the words in him. You must have the correct object of your faith. So you have to believe, but what do you believe in? If you believe in yourself and your own ability to get there, you won't have everlasting life. If you believe in some other system out there, as good as that might help you feel right now, it's still not truth. And you won't have eternal life. So the only object is Jesus Christ. Now that makes sense too. God, Christ one. God gave his only son. And that whoever believes in him, Christ, the one who gave, that gives eternal life. So there has to be the belief. And go on. It says this. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. To know that I will not spend eternity separated from the Lord. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to give you a little bit of information that might be surprising to some of you that come from a religious background. The reason I speak to this is because I want you to understand this very clearly. In Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, there is no place in Scripture called purgatory. 
Purgatory in one religion basically says that that is kind of a middle ground that you go if you've committed some sins that aren't so bad and that you are on your way to heaven, but there's a waiting period right here based on whether the people praying for you that are alive or how much money you've given, etc. So they call that kind of like the middle ground right here. It sounds pretty logical. You're not so bad to go to hell. You're not so good to go to heaven. So in most cases, it's only the saints that get to heaven. So you're in this purgatory period here. Now, what's interesting now is what the word purgatory means. Purga, purge, means to cleanse. Tori would be place of cleansing. So often in their religion is, this is a place for you to finally get cleansed. How long it takes, we're not really sure, based on how much money people are praying for you. It's a place of payment. That concept that I just shared with you is not found anywhere in Scripture. What is found in Scripture is the word purge. And yes, there is a Tori, place of purging. That is found in Scripture, but it's not a middle ground after you die between hell and heaven. That place, according to Hebrews, would be the cross of Calvary. That is the place upon which our sins were purged or cleansed when Jesus died on that cross for us. That's the purgatory. So now when it says you will not perish, it means this, that when you trust in Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no reason, theologically, biblically, or reasonably, for you to worry about going to hell. You will never perish. There is an eternal death. That means you'll never really die-die. You're always in a state of dying, a suffering place separated from God forever, separated from Christ forever and ever and ever. Eternal death. You won't perish. But here's the good news. It's not just that you get fire insurance. It's that the Bible says, and you will have, not might have, probably will have, possibly will have. It says you'll have everlasting life. And watch, watch, watch. And there's a period there. It doesn't say you have everlasting life unless you sin again. It says period, everlasting life, and it ends there. So here's a reasonable question. What does everlasting or eternal life mean? Well, everlasting means everlasting. What does eternal mean? Eternal. It just ends there. So now look up here for a second. Let's say that today you trust Jesus Christ is your Savior. It is true when you die physically, you're going to go to heaven. But you don't get eternal life when you die when you arrive at the gates of heaven. You actually get everlasting eternal life the very moment you trust Christ as your Savior. So you have it now. And the beauty of that is we don't keep our eternal life. He keeps it for us, and we are kept by the power of God forever. Now, God does all of that, gives us eternal life, seals us forever. Our part in the middle is so simple. All we must do is go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't deserve all of this. Frankly, I don't even understand all of this. But I do believe that you love me. And I do believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. I do believe that you love me so much that you gave your son for me from the beginning throughout eternity but on the cross so that I wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So my friend, that's the truth. You know it now. I hope all of you will accept it as truth but I'd like to give you a moment right now to trust in that for yourself. Would you pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed. 
Right now is a very special time. God is beaming into your mind and heart, spirit, we might say, the truth that God so loved you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. That whatever kind of person you are, if you will believe in him, you will not perish. But you will have, you shall have, eternal life forever. I don't know that I could ever make it more clear than that. There is no other way than that. If you choose to say, I need to investigate this further, you have that option. But once you die, there is no second chance. And I think we're mature enough to know that none of us know exactly when we're going to die. So God has, in a sense, and I say this in as much love as I can, provided you an opportunity right now to trust Him. He knows when you're going to expire. I don't, you don't. But he knew you were to hear this message now. He loves you more than anyone else. He paid the greatest price for you on the cross. He's offering to you by faith alone the forgiveness of your sin, a home in heaven secured, an eternal relationship with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and because of that, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But now you have to do the receiving part. And you receive it by now actually placing your full confidence, your commitment in Him. And by that I mean you're trusting nothing or no one else but only Him. It's all about Him. I'm going to be quiet while you have a conversation with the Lord. You know the truth. I hope you accept the truth. But then you take it to that salvation part. You trust it. So you go beyond information to the beginning of eternal transformation. Maybe today is the day you want to trust Christ. It's not really a prayer that you and God make, but it's a time, though, that you are communicating with Him. You're engaging the Lord right now. And so it may be a prayer. It's not wrong to be a prayer, but it's not just praying. It's where maybe you're telling the Lord, Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know that I'm a sinner, always be a sinner, but I can't do anything to earn eternal life or relationship with you or to do anything to have my sins forgiven. But you, Lord, said you'd give me eternal life. I will never perish. And if I have you, I have life. And so now, Lord, I am depending upon you, believing that you did die on the cross and rise again. I do believe you are the Lord who did that for me. I am trusting in you because you said so in the authority of your word that you'd forgive me of all sin. And I'm going to receive that promise to me, that hope of eternal life, because I'm receiving your son. Now, I don't know how you say that, but as long as you're not counting on your own good works or faith and your good works, just Christ, just Christ. I'd like to pray for you. Now, I'm not in here in any way going to embarrass you by having you come forward or stand up or say anything out loud. But I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Maybe you'd like to let me know that today was the day 
that you passed from eternal perishing to eternal life because you've chosen to have the Son by faith alone. Now, without saying a word and no one looking around, if you'd like for me to pray for you, would you quietly, wherever you are, slip up your hand and put it down? Is there anyone at all? All right, Christians, this is a message that is clear. You may want to get copies of it. You might want to take that simple track that says, Who Killed Christ? I encourage you to share this with as many people as you can. It's a, it's a message that's truth from probably the most memorized and quoted verse in the Bible. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we don't just have a no-so salvation. We know we'll be disciplined after we've trusted you as Savior, but we'll never be cast out of your family. And that, Father, we thank you that we can also now have a say-so salvation as a believer. So help us, Father, to take this wonderful verse, the great truths of this verse, live them out with a testimony showing that we do believe them, as well as to communicate it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Oh, 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 oh,